Oh, good morning. Uh, my name is Rich, and uh, in case you're not sure who I am, primarily work with uh, teenagers here at uh, Grace Community, but I uh, have the opportunity every once in a while to uh, speak with you. Uh, Pastor Jim is on vacation, so really excited that he gets an opportunity to, uh, to relax and, and refresh, uh, but I'm also excited that I have the opportunity to, to share with those of you here in the main and everybody over in the link. So uh, thanks for allowing me to uh, just be able to serve you. Uh, today uh, in, in this way. Um, I, as I was preparing for, uh, for this week, I really, I, I tried my hardest, I seriously did, I tried my hardest to figure out some creative way to introduce what I'm going to be talking about. I uh, spent a lot of time trying to figure out something creative, uh, a, a cool way to introduce our topic. I could not come up with anything, I'm just being honest with you. Um, so, um, so I'm just going to tell you uh, what we're going to be talking about at the risk of losing you immediately. Because uh, what we're going to be talking about is not something that's really talked about in church very much. It's, 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 it's not something that is addressed. It's not something that's talked about too often. And the reason it's not talked about is, is, is just hard. It, it's something that is difficult to do. It's not an easy thing. And oftentimes we, we resist doing it and we resist trying to willingly put ourselves in a place where we have to have to be disciplined and we have to experience some things that just are uncomfortable and everything like that. And so, so I'm just going to tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting today. And so, um, you know, again, something that we typically don't talk about, but we're going to be looking at uh, fasting and the role that it plays in the life of somebody who is, is really wanting to, to know God. Um, and so there, there are two things that, that people don't like to give up. People don't like to give up their money, and people don't like to give up their food. And so that is why uh, fasting is one of the issues that's not typically addressed, and one of the reasons why it's, it's resisted in, in, in church a lot. You know, people line up for a church picnic. People will wait in line for the, for the uh, you know, the church hog roast. They, they typically aren't lining up for the church-wide fast. And so, so again, something that isn't really uh, addressed much in church today. And maybe you're here today, and, and you're somebody that, you know, that maybe you're just checking out church. Maybe you're checking, you know, you're not sure about God. You're just, you just have some questions. You're unsure. Maybe you're somebody that, you know, uh, grew up in church, but then for a period of time you stepped away. And, and today you're, you're back here. You're back checking out church again. And then you, so you walk in here and you're like, what's he going to talk about? What's, what's going on? And then you find out that I'm talking about fasting. And you're like, Dude, that's why I left church in the first place, you know? Uh, you're talking about all this stuff that, that just doesn't matter. And so, you know, if you pull out a flannel graph, I'm getting up, I'm leaving, you know? That's probably, you know, what, what, you're, what you may be thinking. But, but I, I just ask you, ask you this. Before you completely tune me out today, before you completely uh, turn off uh, your, your capability uh, to listen, before you completely tune me out, I want you to know this. I'm going to try to explain fasting in a way that maybe you have never heard before. And, and my hope is as crazy as it may sound to you right now, my hope as, as ridiculous as it may seem to you right now is that by the end of our time together, you will want to fast. My, my desire is that you'll make fasting a regular part of, 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 of your life. That from this point on, that, that you will regularly make fasting a part of your life. And my big hope for us today is that we will realize this, that we will realize that the reason we fast is because fasting makes room in our life for God. That, that there are so many distractions, so many things that, that get in the way, but when we fast... What we are doing is we are making room in our life for God to move. 
Uh, fasting is, is one of the things that, that has really been misunderstood. Uh, for centuries, I believe that fasting has been misunderstood. Many people think that, that fasting is like the pin number to God's ATM card, that if I just do it, then God is going to give me everything that I want. You know, it's like the magic wand that God uses and stuff like that. And that's not true. There, there are several examples in the Bible where people fasted and they were right in their motives and, and God didn't answer their prayers. So, so fasting is not God's... God's you know, the pin number to God's ATM card. And many people also think that, that fasting, that, that it makes them better than, than somebody who doesn't fast. And, and so that, what I want you to know is that's not true either. There's a story in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus told about two people who went to church and one person was praying and he said, God, I fast twice a week. And he was really proud of himself and really happy for that discipline that he set in his life of fasting twice a week. And then there was another guy that came to church and he was like, God, I need you desperately in my life because I am just sinful. My heart is sinful. I need you in my life. And, and Jesus said only one of those people made God smile. And it wasn't the person who fasted. And so, so fasting does not mean if you do it that you're, you know, some super spiritual giant or anything like that. You probably have learned in your life by now that people can do all sorts of religious things for all sorts of wrong reasons. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but, but you can read in the Bible about how fasting slowly moved from an act of humbly seeking God to more of a religious act to make people, uh, that, that was used to make people look super spiritual or that was used to try to earn God's favor. And, and seriously, that, that's what religion does. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that is what religion does. Religion is about getting God to do things for me. That, that's religion. Religion is all about trying to find the right combinations of things to do uh, to, so, so that I can get God to give me what I want from him. How many times do I need to go to church? How many times do I need to read my Bible? How many times do I need to pray? How often do I need to give? All this kind of stuff. How often do I need to do those things so that God can keep me healthy and God keeps my kids healthy and God allows me to keep my job and he makes sure that the bills are paid? What do I need to do so I can harness the power of God to give me what I want. That is the ultimate goal of religion. But what I want you to know is that is not the ultimate goal of God. That is not the ultimate goal of God. Does, does God want to give us good things? Absolutely, he does. Does, does. does God want you to have healing from your past? Absolutely. But more than he wants you to have healing from your past, he wants you to know the healer. Does God want you to be free from bondage in your life? Absolutely. But even more than God wants you to be free from bondage, God wants you to know the one who breaks the chains. Does God want you to have joy in your life? Absolutely. But even more than God wants you to have joy, he wants you to know the one who gives the joy. Does he want you to have power in your life? Yes. But even more than that, God wants you to know the source of the power. I believe that one of God's greatest desires is simply for us to know him deeply. That's, that's one of God's greatest desires, simply for us to know him deeply. But time and time and time again, we have shown a great ability to resist that. For the most part, you know, when it, when it comes to God, we're polite, uh, we're respectful, we show up for holidays, for special occasions, but, but, but instead of an intimate friend, 
For many of us, God has become the grandparent that we visit on holidays or the grandparent that we visit on special occasions or, or when we need something special. We are more than willing to keep God at a distance. We don't want him to get too close because if he gets too close, that can mean that some drastic changes are going to happen in our life. If we allow God too close, then we might realize that, hey, we need to start giving some stuff up or we need to start saying no to some things and that might cause some drastic changes to take place in our life, but we also don't want him to get too far away because what if something happens in my life? What if a crisis happens? What if a tragedy happens and I need God to to help me out? I need him to give me something. And so our pattern has typically been to keep him close enough so he's within our reach when we need him, but just far enough away so our hearts are not impacted by him. We're we're good at, at, at treating God respectfully, but oftentimes we're not good at treating him intimately. We're not good at at looking at him as that intimate friend, the God who wants us to know him deeply. And so so what does all of that have to do with fasting? What does all that have to do with fasting? My my plan um, for us today is, is real simple. What I want us to see is that fasting makes room in our life for God. That when we fast, we are making room in our life from God. We are emptying ourselves of the stuff that gets in the way, and we are allowing God the opportunity to move in our life. Every time that I fast, I am, seriously, every time, I am amazingly humbled. Amazingly humbled when I fast, because what I often find, I find myself hungering for food, or I find myself hungering for what I have given up. And when I can't have that, I find myself really disappointed. And so, so if, I'm, if I'm hungering for food and I see a, a commercial on TV where there's, you know, this great restaurant, I'm like, oh man, I wish I could have that. Or if I'm giving up sweets and I've I found myself longing for, for, a, for a cookie or something like that, I'm like, man, why today? Of all the days, why do I have to have given up chocolate chip cookies, or if I've given up, you know, soda or coffee or whatever it is, man, I wish I could have that. And I always find myself incredibly humbled because what I find when I fast is I find myself hungering for those things more than I hunger for God. And that breaks my heart. It does. Every time I fast, I I find myself incredibly humbled because I always ask myself the question, God, why, why don't I hunger for you like this? God, why am I not craving you like I'm craving a cookie? God, why, why, am, why is my soul not growling for you the way that my stomach is growling for food? God, what is it about me that causes me to want the stuff that you give rather than the God who gives it? God, I, every time I am completely humbled. And when I empty myself of those things, I'm allowing myself to become more hungry for God. And so what, when it comes to fasting, what exactly is fasting? Let's just take a look at what it is first. The word for fasting is used about 80 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it refers to, to humbling the soul or, or denying oneself. And it's typically used in reference to one who is not eaten or one who is empty. So, so when you're fasting, the idea behind it is this. The idea behind it is that you're humbling yourself. You're denying yourself something. You're emptying yourself of something in order to allow God to fill you up. You're emptying yourself of something in order to allow God to fill you up. And when you read the Bible... 
you'll see that people fasted for all sorts of different reasons. They fasted for all sorts of different reasons. People fasted to be free of sin. They fasted when they were sad. They fasted during times of worship. They fasted when they needed direction for their life. They fasted when they needed breakthrough in their life. They fasted during times of personal or national crisis. They fasted to bring revival. They fasted to bring physical health. So there are all sorts of reasons uh, in, in the Bible for fasting. But like I mentioned earlier, it didn't take long before an act that was meant to humble us before God became an act that was used to build us up in front of people. It didn't take long before the fast itself became the focus instead of the heart and the motivation behind the fast. And, and something that is really important for us to remember, I hope, that we, I hope that we realize this, I hope that we catch this, is that, is, that, is that our heart will not always follow our behaviors, but our behaviors will always follow our heart. Our heart will not always follow our behaviors, but our behaviors will always follow our heart. God's primary concern behind fasting was the heart behind the fast, not the act of the fast itself. And, and you can read different examples in the Bible. One of them is uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 14 when King Saul forced his entire army to fast. And God did not honor it at all. He did not honor the fast because the people were forced into doing it. So here you have thousands of people that are fasting. Thousands of them are fasting at the same time. But God didn't honor it at all because their hearts were not into it. Their motivation was not right. Their heart was not behind it. And so God did not honor the fast and he almost wiped out the entire army. And you can also read in Isaiah chapter 58 where God actually condemns fasting. He condemns the fasting that people were doing because they were more concerned with the act of fasting than what moves the heart of God. They were more concerned with the act of fasting than feeding the hungry. They were more concerned with doing a fast than they were about showing mercy. They were more concerned about doing a fast than they were about reaching the lost and the hurting. And you can even read this in, in, in Jesus' day when Jesus uh, was on the earth. The religious people used fasting as a way to make them look really spiritual. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus basically said to them that if all you want to get out of a fast is to look spiritual, if all you want to get out of a fast is to, is to make yourself look good in front of other people, to give the impression that you have it all together, hey, that's great, but if that's all you want to get out of it, that's all you're going to get out of it. Don't expect to get anything from God because God will honor your heart before he honors your behavior. And so there are examples in the Bible where God was totally against fasting because of the reasons behind it. But there are also several examples in the Bible, several examples in the Bible of when God was deeply influenced and deeply moved whenever people fasted. Literally, the course of history was changed because people fasted. You can read in the Bible, there were armies that were defeated. There were lives that were spared. There, the good news about Jesus was spread around the world. And this all happened because people were willing to humble themselves and to fast before God. So throughout the Bible, God has demonstrated that fasting has the ability to move his heart. So much so that it could change the course of history. But, but I don't believe that it was the act 
of fasting that influenced God, but it was the heart. It was the heart behind the fast that influenced God. Because when our heart for God aligns with his heart, that moves God to action. When our heart for God aligns with God's heart, that moves God to act. I believe that fasting is the atomic bomb of spiritual disciplines. It is, it, is the, it is the weapon that we have at our disposal that is the most powerful weapon that we have, but it is the one that is least used. It is the atomic bomb of spiritual disciplines. I am convinced that when God's people fast with the right heart, seeking God's presence more than his gifts, seeking God's presence more than what God can do, coming to God with a broken and a repentant and a humble spirit, I believe that God will hear from heaven and that God will heal our lives and that God will heal our churches and that God will heal our communities and he will heal our nation and he will heal our world because fasting humbles us in a way that nothing else will humble us and humility is what moves the heart of God. Psalm chapter 51, verse 17 says, says, A broken and contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. And so anytime we come to God in brokenness, anytime we come to him in humility, God is going to honor that because what humility does is humility empties us of everything else and it makes room for God to fill us up. And when we're filled with God, we're filled with the power to face anything. One of, the, one of the greatest examples of this is, is found in, in, in the life of Jesus. It's found in, in Matthew chapter 3. If you, um, once you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, if you need a Bible, you can just go ahead and put up your hand and an usher will be around and, and they would love to give you a Bible. But turn uh, to the first book of the New Testament. It's Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to read chapter 3 starting at verse 13 and then move to chapter 4. Uh, reading through verse 4. So Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then we're going to go ahead and read through uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But uh, Jesus walked the earth. Jesus was alive on this earth for 33 years. But for the first 30 of those years, we don't really have much information about him. We don't really know much about what was going on during the first 30 years of Jesus' life. But that all changed one day. And this is the day when it changed. And this is the story behind it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, by, by John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And, and Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. Yes, he was. Um, the tempter... The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to go ahead and stop right there. So for 30 years, Jesus, for 33 years, Jesus lived on the earth. For the first 30 years, we don't really have much information about him. We don't know much about what was going on. But what I do believe about those first 30 years of Jesus's life is that those 30 years were leading up to this one moment. The first 30 years of his life were leading up to this one moment in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through Matthew chapter 4. The first 30 years of his life were leading up to this one moment because it was at this very moment that the course of history would be changed forever. It was at this moment that he would begin his three years of public ministry. And those three years changed the world. Those three years that that, that Jesus publicly ministered literally changed the history of the world. And so Jesus gets baptized. And so after he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, descends upon him and then empowers him for his earthly ministry. And in in Matthew, uh, and what we find out is, is what, after Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit, what is the very first act of the Holy Spirit in Jesus's life? The very first act is is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The first act of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry was to lead him into a desert, into an empty place, and expose him to the best that Satan could offer. And how did Jesus prepare for that battle? Verse 2, Matthew chapter 4 says he fasted. He fasted for 40 days. He fasted for 40 nights. Jesus prepared for this excruciating battle by fasting. Jesus won this battle through fasting. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read that this week, that shook up my world. It did. That completely changed my view of fasting. That completely changed everything that I had ever thought of about fasting. Because here you have Jesus, Jesus who is 100% man, but he's also 100% God, fully man, fully God. And here is Jesus standing on the doorstep of the most important public ministry in the history of the world. Your, Your salvation, my salvation, literally hangs in the balance. No one will escape hell without Jesus being willing to do what only he could do. And the very first thing that God says is to be done in the ministry of Jesus is for his ministry to be threatened, is for his ministry to be tested with destruction. And if he fails, it is all over. If he fails, it's done. If he fails, it is all over. And of all the things that Jesus could have done to fight off Satan, of all the weapons that he had at his disposal, of all the things that he could have done to fight this tremendous threat to your salvation and to my salvation, what does he do? He fasts. He fasts. Of all the things that he could have done, he fasted. And for my entire life, I've read the story several times, and I have just glanced over that. And just be like, oh, wow, big deal. 40 days. He's God, by the way. He could probably go 40 days without food. You know, I have always looked over that, but I don't want us to overlook this today because don't miss that Jesus began his three-year siege on hell with a fast. 
He began his three-year siege on hell with a fast. He defeated his enemy behind the power of a fast. That rocked my world this week. Because what I began to think about myself is, is how can I, how can we as a church expect to experience all of the fullness of God's power in our life? And how can we expect to be effective at storming the gates of hell? And how can we expect to be effective at reaching people for Jesus? And how can we expect to be effective at ferociously meeting the needs around us every single day and, 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 and fully live out all of the promises of God in our life without humbling ourselves before God and without making room in our lives for God through fasting. We, we can't expect to, to be used of God and, and to, to, its, to, God's, to our fullest potential. We can't unless we are humbling ourselves and emptying ourselves and allowing God to fill us. What fasting does is, is, when, is whenever we try to do these things on our own, it fills us with a sense of pride. Hey, look at what I can do. Hey, look at, look at how many times I've read my Bible. Look at how many people I, I have, you know, served. Look at this and that. And what that begins to do is that begins to fill us with pride. But, but our mission as people of God is nothing that we can do on our own. And what fasting does is it humbles us. And it's a way for us to be emptied of our pride. And it allows us to make room for God to do what only God can do. That is what fasting does. And, and something else that, that I discovered this week that I just thought was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful whenever, whenever I read that uh, and, and looked at that this week, but, but um, there are some incredibly powerful similarities between what Jesus faced in the desert whenever he was led by the Spirit into the desert and faced those temptations, incredibly powerful similarities between what Jesus faced and what the people of Israel faced whenever they were in the desert for 40 years. Now, I don't know if, if you're familiar with this story or not. If you have any church background, you may be a little familiar with it. If you don't, you know, it's, it's okay. But what, what happened, you, you, at least you've probably heard of Moses and, and the parting of the Red Sea. You know, this is what we're talking about. So here you have, you know, the people of Israel were slaves in, in the country of Egypt. And then Moses comes along and God helps Moses release the people of Israel from slavery, the 10 plagues, all that kind of stuff. So they're freed from slavery. They leave Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. They got the Egyptians behind them. They got the sea in front of them. And God says, whoop, he just parts the Red Sea. And they walk across on dry land. And the Egyptians run after them. And then God caves the water down. And, blah, 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 and all the stuff's going on. And, and, and so these people are free. And so they cross the Red Sea. They come to this mountain. God gives them the Ten Commandments. All that kind of stuff. You may, you may know a little bit about that. What you may not realize is for the next 40 years, they were in the desert. For the next 40 years of their life, they were wandering in the desert. And the joke is this, like the joke is, well, of course they were wandering because Moses was a man. If it was a woman, she would have just asked for directions. How did I get out of here? You know, but that's, that's the joke. But, but, but here you have people that are, people that are wandering in the desert for 40 years. That's the story. God led them there. For 40 years, they were in a desert, in an empty place. But it was there that God would fill them. And in Matthew chapter 4, 
Jesus quotes verses from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy each time the devil tempts him. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that, that very first temptation, Jesus quotes a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is really cool. I don't want us to miss this. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is towards the front of the Bible. The very first book is Genesis. Just find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's the fifth book of your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. This is Moses just talking to the people of Israel, reminding them of, of how God filled them up reminding them of how God provided for them, reminding them of what, of everything that happened. And so here you have Deuteronomy chapter eight, starting at verse two. Um, Remember, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to what? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your what? Your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to what? Hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now this is is incredibly significant, so I don't want us to miss this. Just like Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. I find it really interesting that it was God who led his people into the desert. For whatever reason, God saw that they needed to be led to a dry, barren, empty place because when we're empty, we make room for God. When we're empty, we make room for God. And so God was leading them to fullness. God was leading them to strength. But before they could experience being filled with all of the fullness of God, they had to be emptied of everything else. And the only way uh, to do that was to lead them to a place of emptiness. To lead them to a place where they had nothing but God to depend on to lead them to a place of emptiness. So God led them to the desert to humble them in order to know what was in their heart. More than any other single discipline, fasting will reveal what is in our hearts. More than any single discipline, fasting will reveal what is in our hearts. I was trying to think about how to illustrate that, and I thought about it this way. I have something here. I borrowed this from my daughter. Um, but, but you kind of see this globe, and you probably know what this is, but, you know, you see the globe, and you see, uh, is that sleeping? Cinderella, Cinderella, uh, Cinderella there. Um, and so, so you see the globe, she looks all nice and everything like that, but you know what's going to happen. You shake it up, and then you kind of see what's in there. You know, you kind of see that there's some stuff floating around, that there was some stuff that had settled on the bottom, and you don't see it until it gets shaken up. And then you see all this stuff that is kind of floating around Cinderella. You notice what else is inside of here. And that is what fasting does in our hearts. More than any other single discipline, fasting reveals what is inside of us. You know, a lot of times when, when people fast and stuff like that, you know, if they're fasting from food, you know, 
you know, they're, they're, you, you may notice if you fast from food that you start to get a little cranky. And a lot of people think, you know, man, um, the reason I'm cranky is just because I'm hungry. I haven't eaten for, for, for a couple hours and I'm just hungry. And, and you think that the reason you're, you're angry, the reason that you're short, or the reason that you're cranky is just because you're hungry. And I don't think that's true. I think the reason that you're cranky is because you have the spirit of crankiness in your heart. <laughs> Fasting reveals that. A lot of times people resist fasting and they say, why do I have to do this? This is, isn't for me. This is no big deal. Why do I have to give something up? I'm always being asked to give stuff up. You want my money? You want my food? What am I supposed to do? You know, and what that reveals is a sense of pride. And what fasting will do, it will reveal your pride faster than anything else. You give something up and you are confronted with what is inside of you. And that is one of the reasons why I am so humbled when I fast. Because whenever I fast, I find out what I have allowed to control me. Whenever I fast, I find out that there are so many things that are inside of me that are messed up. God, why do I want a cookie more than I want you? God, why is my my heart not hungering for you the way that my stomach is hungering for a sandwich? God, what is it about me that makes me so short-tempered whenever I'm hungry? God, I am so sorry. And whenever I am fasting, that stuff just all comes to the surface and I just feel disgusting. Because of it, more than anything else, fasting reveals what is in our heart. It reveals the messiness. But the good news is this. You're never too messy for God. That's the good news. God wants to take all that stuff and clean it up. He wants to take all that stuff that is revealed through fasting and say, hey, let's take that. Let's get rid of it. Because when you make room for me, I'm going to fill up the space. We're never so messy that we can mess up Jesus. And so what God did with his people is he humbled them. It says he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. God's people were hungry in the desert. They were physically empty, and they cried out for God to fill them. And so what happened is God supernaturally provided a miracle food for them called manna. God provided that manna every single morning. So every morning they would wake up, they would go out of their tents, and they would find this stuff that they had never seen before all over the ground. And it was this stuff called manna. And so they would go and they would pick it up and they would eat it. And so wherever they were in the desert, every single morning they found manna. And so God provided them with miracle food called manna. God used manna to teach humble, empty people to rely on him. He didn't give them a checklist of things to do. He gave them manna. He didn't ask them to try harder. He gave them manna. Why manna? Why, why would God use manna to fill up his empty people? Some really interesting stuff here. In reference to manna, Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 says, In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Every morning God provided manna for his people. What did that manna represent? It represented so much more than food. So many times we just get focused, oh, God provided food for his people. That's really cool. The manna represented so much more than food. The manna represented the glory of God. 
The manna represented the glory of the Lord. Every morning, every morning, they woke up with the realization that it was the glory of God that would meet their hunger. It was the glory of God that would fill their emptiness. Every morning, they woke up with the realization that it was God that was going to fill them. And how different would your life look? How different would my life look if we woke up with the same realization every single morning? That every day when I get up, it is the glory of God that is going to fill me that I am so dependent upon God and so empty of everything else that all I have is the glory of God to fill me up. How different would our lives look if every single day we realized that it was the glory of God that was gonna fill us up, that we do not live on bread alone, but that we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God, every promise, every truth. Imagine how different our lives would look if we woke up every single day with the realization that we are gonna see God work. If they would have filled themselves up, they would have never experienced being filled with the glory of God. But in their emptiness, they saw God. In our emptiness, we will see God. The Bible also says that about the manna, that it only lasted for a day. God declared that if you kept the manna for more than a day, that it would spoil But what's really cool is that manna was always enough for that day. The manna that God gave in the morning was always, every single time, every single day, it was always going to be enough for the people every single day. And what that tells me is this. It tells me that God's focus is today. That tells me that God's focus for your life, God's focus for my life is today. We often do the exact opposite. We like to think about the past. So many times we we hold on to the past and we forget that Jesus is bigger than any mistake that we've ever made. And then other times we, we like to worry about the future and we think about the future and worry about the future and we forget that we will never step into anything that God isn't ready for. God's focus is today. What he gives you will always be enough to fill you today. We don't need to worry about the past. We don't need to worry about the future. What God wants us to focus on is today because God says, today, I will give you enough. Today, I will give you all that you need. And then with the manna too, we're told in Exodus chapter 16 that people would go out in the mornings, that a family would go out in the morning and each family would collect about two quarts of manna. That's what they were told to get. Every family, no matter how big, no matter how small, they were all told to get two quarts of manna. But what's really cool is those two quarts were somehow supernaturally adjusted to meet every single need. It didn't matter how big the family was. Two quarts was always going to be enough. If a family gathered too much, it was never too much. If a family gathered too little, it was never too little. And what that tells me is that when I empty myself, there will always be enough of God's glory and enough of God's mercy and enough of God's grace set aside to fill me up every single day. God God is not a consumable commodity. God is not a consumable commodity. His mercies are new every morning. And in my emptiness, we, my, my emptiness will never be more than God can fill. My thirst will never be more than God can quench. My hunger will never be more than God can meet. He gave enough manna to perfectly meet 
every need. And when we humble ourselves before him, and when we make room for him, what we will find is he will give us enough, enough mercy, and he will give us enough grace, and he will give us enough of his glory to meet every urge that we have, to meet every craving that we have, to meet every need that we have. And whenever those cravings for whatever it is that we give up, whenever they really hit us, whenever they really smack us, what is really cool is God says, whenever your need arises, my grace increases. God's supply will always meet your demand. Always. He will always give you enough. Always give you what you need. And so, what, so when you fast, what you're doing is you're emptying yourself of the stuff that gets in the way of God and you're giving him room. You're giving God room. Jesus faced his test in the desert by, by emptying himself and allowing the strength of God to fill him up. He confronted every temptation physically empty yet spiritually full. And even in that very first temptation, Jesus shows us something that's really important. Jesus shows us that we are not to live on bread alone, even if it's miracle food, even if it's, it's, it's miracle bread. And what I think is that the, the deep, the, this is the deepest lesson that we can learn here. Jesus used fasting as, as a weapon to demonstrate that he hungered more for God and God's will than he did God's wonders. He wondered more for God himself than the stuff that God gives. He hungered more for God's presence more than his presence. He hungered more for the person of God instead of the gifts of God. And so what we learn here is, is don't trust in bread, even if it's miracle bread. Trust in God. Trust in God because God is what we need. We humble ourselves through fasting not to get what we want from God. We don't treat God like room service. Hey, God, I need some extra towels. Hey, God, can you bring a dessert up to my room? That is not how we treat God. We humble ourselves simply to make us more hungry for God. And, and if you're here today and you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're thinking to yourself, you're saying, you know what, I'm not really... I don't really hunger for God. I'm not really that hungry for him. What, this, is, this is going to be a hard realization for you. What I want you to realize is this. You're probably not hungry for God because you feasted on him. You're not hungry for God because you're nibbling on everything else. The reason that we don't hunger for God is not because we have had so much of him that we are stuffed the reason that we, that we don't hunger for God is because we're, we're nibbling on everything else that the world has to offer. Because the people that, that feast on God are the people that are always the hungriest for him. And that's, that's the mystery. The more you have of God, the hungrier you are for him. The more you take of God, the more you want of him. That's, that's the mystery. But the more you eat of everything else, the less room you're giving for God to move in your life. And so here's my hope for us. My hope is that from this point on that we'll decide to fast regularly. That's, that's my hope. 
My hope is that, that from this point on, you will decide to make fasting a regular part of your life. And when you fast, when the craving or the desire or the thought of whatever it is that you're fasting from creeps in and it begins to take over your thoughts and it begins to become your focus and it begins to become what you're longing for and what you're craving and what you're desiring the most, my hope is that you would take those desires and you would replace them with a greater desire for God because the only thing that beats desire is greater desire. The only thing that will beat desire is greater desire. And so when you desire those things, whatever it is that you're nibbling on and you say, God, take this because I'm desiring it so much and God, take this and give me a greater desire for you, that is a prayer God will always answer in your life. God wants you to be able to feast on him and he wants you to be able to have every emptiness and every longing completely filled in him. And the only thing that will overcome the desires for everything else is begging God for a greater desire for him. And so if you're fasting from food as your stomach starts to growl and as you start to want food so badly, take that hunger that you're feeling and go to God and say, God, I am so sorry that I don't hunger for you like this. Forgive me. Or if you're fasting from whatever it is, from coffee or from sweets or from your phone or from the internet or whatever it is, every time you have a craving to go to those things, that, that you would just go to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I, that I think about this stuff more than I think about you. Please forgive me. My prayer is that we will not get our deepest satisfactions in life from food, even if it's miracle food. But we'll get our deepest satisfactions from God. More than we need physical healing in our life, we need God. More than we need financial help in our life, we need God. More than we need freedom from addiction, we need God. More than we need uh, help and guidance for our families, we need God. More than we need healing in our relationships, we need to know God. And nothing empties us more of ourselves and allows us to be filled with the fullness and the glory of God than, than fasting will. Because what fasting does is it allows me to see all the other things that I've let control my life. And then I can go to God and say, God, Now I need you to control me. God, will you please be the one to control me in these desires that I have? Replace them with a greater desire for you because the only thing that beats desire is greater desire. Will you pray with me? God, my heart, my my prayer um, for us as, as a church, my prayer for myself, Lord, is that that we will, will hunger for you, that we will long for you. God, I, so many times in my life, I, I want what you do. I, 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 want, I want you to, to show me the power that you offer. I want you to show me the blessings that you give. I want you to show me just all these different things and the great wonders that you do. And God, so, so many times I, I, I don't want you as much as I want that. God, forgive me. Forgive us. And let us be a people that crave you 
more than anything else that this world has to offer. God, we need you. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.